please pray with me. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's nothing quite like diving headfirst into a dense theological teaching by Paul early on a Sunday morning on the first day of the new year. I hope you all didn't stay up too late last night because we're going to need to muster up some brain power to get through this text this morning. I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, but also a little bit seriously because 2 Corinthians 5.11 through 6.2 is in fact a meaty, dense theological teaching by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And there is a lot going on in this text. Now, if you're anything like me, reading through 2 Corinthians, or really any of the epistles, can be an interesting experience. I often find myself nodding along as I work my way through the text, going, yes, this is so good, wow, what a powerful word. What does it mean exactly? Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes as we read through the Bible, we can feel that it is good and still wonder, what does it mean? And let me tell you, this was absolutely the case over the last couple of weeks as I worked my way through this text, reading and rereading this passage going, yes, Paul, wow, so good. What are you trying to say exactly? The full weight and meaning of this second Corinthians passage is not inherently obvious, nor is it very intuitive. But I do believe Paul designed it to be this way on purpose. Just like the telling of stories can serve a purpose, so too can dense theological teaching serve a purpose in our spiritual lives. It can force us to slow down to really take time with the text, to ruminate, contemplate, and confront our own preconceptions of what we think we know about the text before we actually start picking apart what the text is trying to say. And maybe, just maybe, as we all come out of the busyness and rush of the holiday season and into the go-go-go momentum of the new year, Perhaps it is a good thing, after all, that at least for this morning, we can gather together, slow down, and work our way through this text. Even if we're just tugging on one thread in a passage that has many layers and many threads. That being said, for me personally, I will almost always prefer a story. And Northbrook, as you get to know me, you will hear this from me often. I love stories. So this morning is just as much a reminder to myself to learn to love the parts of the Bible that are not stories and to approach them with wonder and curiosity too and to expect that God is going to show up through these writings. Now when working through a teaching text like 2 Corinthians, one of the ways I try to decipher its meaning is by trying to notice what stands out in the text. 
Again, because it's not a story, there are no characters to look at, no interesting turn of events, no plot twists, no miracles, no dialogue to follow. So instead, I remember what every English teacher I've ever had has always said, what's repeated? Because if it's repeated, it's important. And it's so true. So what do we see repeated here in this specific text? Well, this past week, I kept noticing the repetition of reconciliation. Indeed, in the span of only three verses, verses 18 through 20, reconciliation shows up five times. Five times in three verses. Twice in the form of a noun, and three times in the form of a verb. And just so we have it fresh in our minds, I'm going to reread a portion of the text, uh, verses 16 through 21. And so Paul says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear how often reconciliation came up? Most of the time, I think, when we read this passage, our attention is drawn, and rightly so, to verse 17, the Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the old has gone, the new is here. And that's a fantastic verse. But why then is there all this business about reconciliation after that? Doesn't verse 17 say enough on its own? So I got curious about this, because surely the Corinthians, who were the first to hear this, must have noticed this as well. So I started to look more carefully at how Paul uses the word reconciliation and reconcile in this passage. And here's another interesting thing. Every time reconcile appears as a verb, it is in a different verb form every single time. All three times, it is in a different tense. Verse 18, God who reconciled. Verse 19, God was reconciling. Verse 20, you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. It's different every time. I even looked into several other English translations and into the Greek itself, the original language it was written in, and each time reconcile is used in a different verb form and has a slightly different meaning. Now I could dive into the nitty gritty of why this alone is interesting and significant, I won't right here, but if you're really interested, come find me afterwards and we'll talk. But suffice it to say, 
Paul is drawing our attention. He's drawing the Corinthians' attention to this part of the passage by not only repeating, but intentionally mixing up how he uses reconcile and reconciliation. And the Corinthians would have noticed. You see, here in this text, Paul is not conveying the same old, same old understanding of reconciliation that the Corinthians had. Paul is shifting their whole paradigm of what reconciliation is by explaining what God's reconciliation actually is. Reconciliation on its own was an idea that the Corinthians were familiar with. The Greek word for reconciliation has a meaning of two parties who were odds with each other that are now in harmony once again. Those who were hostile are now friendly. What was wrong is now right. A rift has been healed. But in the ancient Greek understanding, reconciliation can only take place when the party that did the wrong repairs the damage. The one who caused the rift, who broke the relationship, is responsible for fixing it. Meanwhile, the party who did no wrong is expected to keep a record of all the wrongs done to them. And unless those wrongs are repaired with either punishments or reparations by the ones who did the damage, reconciliation cannot take place. This is the Corinthians' understanding of reconciliation. And Paul here flips that on its head. Because Paul says, no, 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 no. The new creation has come from God. God who reconciled the world to himself through Christ. That's verse 18. So God is the actor of reconciliation. God brings it about through Christ, not us. And we're the ones who are in the wrong. We're the ones because of sin who broke the relationship, the harmony with God. But still, it's God who initiates. And then in verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against us. Here again, God is the one who initiates, not us. And God isn't even keeping score. The direction for how reconciliation comes about flips around in a dramatic 180. Furthermore, God's not done. Even though we have been reconciled to God through Christ, we are now Christ's ambassadors. Verses, verse 20, as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. So the direction of where reconciliation comes from has completely shifted. God, who did no wrong, initiates. And also, we are now to continue in that direction, continue in God's example, because we have been commissioned and entrusted with the ministry and message of reconciliation. Now, in both word and deed, we are to be ambassadors of God's reconciliation to the rest of the world. Because God did this, now you, therefore, go and do. Paul isn't just giving the Corinthians new information. This isn't just a, hey, this is Jesus, learn about him. This is a complete 
paradigm shift of their whole understanding of how the world is supposed to work and how God is working instead of bearing all the responsibility for healing the rift with God it is by God's grace that we are now made right with God through Jesus Christ God took on the responsibility and now we are to be that to the world carrying and embodying that out in our community that's not just new information that's a a whole new orientation that's a new way of being a new a way of living of thinking it's a complete paradigm shift it's a whole new creation and it's now that we can understand the full weight of the words therefore we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer no longer no longer is your paradigm for understanding reconciliation going to work all of that has to shift because God God has done a new thing and now we must also do this new thing the heart of what Paul is conveying here in 2nd Corinthians 5:11 through 6:2 is the gospel message the good news of Jesus Christ that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Christ paid our price we didn't do anything and so in Christ we are now reconciled to God all because of God's love and grace for us reconciliation harmony with God is freely available to us I was talking with another pastor friend of mine earlier this week about this passage and I remember saying to her I think what I'm going to talk about on Sunday to the congregation is just the gospel but but they've already heard the gospel message her response was so great because she only said can anyone really hear about the grace of God enough can we ever really get enough of God's grace and you know what she's right as much as this message of God's reconciliation was a complete paradigm shift for the Corinthians 2000 years ago it is still a massive paradigm shift for us today even those of us who've been Christians for a long time and we still need to hear the full weight of it the message of god's freely available freely given unearned undeserved grace is so countercultural so counterintuitive that we need to be reminded of it because even today we receive so many messages in our world that are the exact opposite messages like work for everything you have earn it deserve it compete for it you can do it all you can have it all 
We so often measure the entire worth of our lives by our deeds, by our productivity, of what we're able to accomplish in an hour, a day, a week, a year, a lifetime. I mean, how often have you said to yourself, I'm, I'm not good enough. I, I need to work harder. I, I need to be better. I need to, to do more, make more money, acquire more. This year, I'm going to do all of these things, and it's going to be great because I'm just not enough yet. With an internal dialogue like that, why wouldn't we feel like we also have to be responsible for earning God's grace and deserving reconciliation? But that's not the gospel message. The good news is that the burden of earning and deserving is taken away from us. In Christ, grace is freely available and God has reconciled us to himself. It's done. I'm so glad that this Sunday turned out to be a communion Sunday and shortly we will all participate in the Lord's table. Because our liturgy for communion and indeed the Lord's table itself is the perfect reminder of the grace and reconciliation available to us. In our very invitation to the Lord's table, together we affirm the gospel once again when we say, come, not because you must, but because you may. Come not to testify that you are righteous, but that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because you must, but because through Christ, God has made a way for us. God has shifted the paradigm and initiated reconciliation. And we come to the Lord's table not having to have complete a checklist of things to do to prove that we're worthy or deserving or have earned it. We instead come to a table that has already been prepared for us. We simply come and receive God's grace in the form of Christ's body and blood broken and poured out for us. And because we have so received this from God, now we must also go and give this to others. We have all been commissioned with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. You are all ministers of God's reconciliation. And there are people even in our midst that desperately need to hear this message, to hear that they are enough, that they are loved, that there is a God who desperately wants to welcome them in his arms in peace and harmony. It is my prayer for you this morning that you be reminded again on this, the new day of the new year, may you be reminded of the newness 
of the power, of the beauty of the gospel, of God's reconciliation to the world, and also that you feel empowered to continue to embody God's reconciliation in both word and deed out beyond the walls of this building, beyond this church, and out into the world. Let us go now to the Lord's table.